Thank you for the warnings and encouragements, our Lord Jesus. We continue our series on word. Matthew, part of Matthew, Matthew 24. People who take them to heart. And we will be looking at verse, verse 36 to chapter 25, verse 13. On your way in, you would have got a couple of handouts, and one of them has got an outline on the inside of where we're going. Uh, might be helpful to have that. We saw last week, and we sang about just now, the fact that Jesus will come back in power and great glory. He will wind up history and judge the world. 1,000, if you're using the church Bibles. And we saw that he is near. Everything is ready for him to come. Everything was done in that one generation. He died, he rose again, he ascended into heaven, he poured out his spirit, he destroyed the old order in the temple. And Jesus has said, when you see all these things, particularly the destruction of the temple, which happened back in AD 70, know that the coming is near. The judge is standing at the gate, ready to open the door. Anytime he can open the door and come in. So we know that Jesus is near. But when will his coming actually be? Are there charts that we can draw? Calculations we can make? Clues we can decipher that will tell us? Yeah, some people think there are. When I was a kid, I used to love to read books about this. Um, most of them said it would be before 1988. right? Because it was 40 years after Jerusalem was founded in 1948. You can work out how old I am now. I guess the modern ones probably say 2007, since they took Jerusalem in 1967. Right, but by that time, I kind of stopped reading those kind of books, because I realized I was wasting my time. Look what Jesus has to say in verse 36 of Matthew 24. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows. Not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. Friends, when Jesus says, no one knows, he means, no one knows. Not even the angels of heaven, he says, if the angel came to you and said, look, this is the timeline, he's bluffing. No one knows, really means no one knows. In fact, Jesus said, not even the Son knows. He doesn't know himself. He is still God, but in becoming human, he voluntarily restricted himself. He only exercises divine powers as far as the Father wanted him to. And this, is one of the, this wasn't one of the things the Father wanted him to know. It's like with the more college correspondence course that I teach. Right? I never look at the exam papers beforehand. Right? Those of you in your class, listen, I have never looked at the exam papers beforehand. They're an in envelope in my office. I am perfectly capable of opening the envelope and having a peek. And I can read. Okay? I am capable of doing that. But that would not be the will of the people who are responsible for the integrity of the course. And so I do the right thing and I only open the envelope in the exam. Jesus is God. He can do anything. He can know anything. But Jesus voluntarily did not know in obedience to the Father. 
Now, the good thing about not opening the envelopes is I can't be dropping hints to people in my group, can I? Like they can't analyse my words in the revision class to, 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 to find out what's coming out in the exam. Because, because I don't know. Except in the most general terms. And so, friends, don't even go to Jesus' words here and look for a clue to the time of his coming. He doesn't know he won't give you a clue, will he? What's the point? Except in the most general terms. Now, some people have claimed God told them the date. People come from time to time and say, oh, God's revealed to me uh, this date, this date. And let me tell you, so far, 100% of them have been wrong. If it wasn't the Father's will to reveal the date of his coming, even to his Son, who is fully God, you think he's going to tell some preacher down the road? Especially when Jesus specifically says he won't. So if you've been trying to work it out, forget it. And don't believe anyone who tells you they know. Uh, of course, the cults particularly do this kind of thing, don't they? I think the record for it is held by the so-called Jehovah's Witnesses. Founded by a man named Charles Taze Russell, who calculated the second coming to 1874. And when it didn't happen, he said it was invisible. And Christ was ruling from heaven from the day he prophesied. I don't know what he was doing before that. And the Jehovah's Witnesses moved the date for the proper return to 1914. And that didn't happen, they moved to 1925 and then 1975. It's not just the cults. Many Christians who don't take Jesus' words here seriously enough have made that mistake. Over and over again. Jesus tells us that it will be entirely unexpected. Look at verses 37 to 39. As were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark, and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. You see, in Noah's time what was happening? Well, life was going on normally. People weren't gathering in stadiums waiting for the flood to come. No, they were just doing the normal things. They were eating and drinking, marrying, giving in marriage. Just like, nothing wrong with those things. It's just normal life, really. I had no idea that God was coming down to bring judgment upon them. It's no big countdown clock. And that will be what it's like when Jesus comes. It'll be unexpected. Life will be normal and suddenly, bang, he'll be here. The Son of Man. The king, the judge, will appear. And as he said, back in verse 31, he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call to gather his elected as his chosen ones from all parts of the world to be with him before he pours out judgment on the world. So what will Christians be doing at the time? Won't be at second coming vigils. Won't be waiting outside, watching the skies, waiting for him to arrive. They're going to be doing their normal business just like their unbelieving neighbours. Jesus gives some graphic pictures of it in the, next, in the next couple of verses, verse 40 to 41. There will be two men in the field. One will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one left. Now this is not like seven years or three and a half years before Jesus comes back like in those uh, left behind novels. Right? Jesus is talking about the time when he comes. The time he described back in verse 30 when the Son of Man will, will appear 
in the clouds of heaven and power and great glory and the angels will go out and take those who belong to him to be with himself. And what's happening at the time is people are carrying out their normal work. Believers, unbelievers together, in the field, in the mill, and suddenly Jesus comes, he separates those who are his, he rescues those who are his. And that's the end. Before the judgment comes. No time to change your mind at that point. Everything is normal, and then bang, it's over. And the separation has happened. That's the point of the verse. Incidentally, someone once asked me what to do when Jesus comes back. Anything special that Christians have to do. All right? The answer is don't worry about it. All right? God's got it under control. He knows who these people are. All right? If you are his, he will rescue you. He will take you on the day of his wrath to be with him. Don't have to worry about what you're going to do. Just make sure you're one of his people on the day. So, the picture here is Jesus returning when people not expecting him to. Christians, non-Christians alike, going about their normal routines. And because we don't know when Jesus is going to come, then we have to be ready for him at any time. Verse 42 to 43. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. See, the picture there is a picture of a house that is targeted by a thief. And a man knows his house is targeted by a thief, but he doesn't know when. No police or security guards in those days. You've got to stay up. If he knew when the thief was going to come, then he'd be ready for him. But he doesn't know. And first, we don't know when Jesus is going to come. If God was going to give us a countdown, he would tell us everything that will happen, this, 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 and then Jesus will come. Be no surprise, would it? People in times beforehand were going to be slack. And people at the time of the coming will, will try and manipulate God purposely because I know he's going to come at this time. I'll do whatever I like and I'll repent just before that. But God is planning a surprise. So whenever it is, we must be prepared. Therefore, verse 44, you must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. You do not expect it. Then Jesus gives us two more parables to make his point about being prepared. The first one is about a servant whom a master appoints to take care of his household while he's away. Verse 45 onwards. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom the master will find so doing when he comes. Right, that is a good servant, isn't he? Now the, father, the master goes away. When he comes home, there is a servant looking after his junior servants, looking after the household, just like the master told him to. And Jesus continues in verse 47, Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. He will get a promotion. He will be rewarded. But, suppose there's a suggestion of delay. And the servant, instead of doing his job, abuses his position. Because he thinks, you see, that the, the time of accountability is so far away that it's not meaningful. Do you know what that's like? That's like when you, you can't study the beginning of term because the exam's then like, so far away. What happens then? Well, verse 48. 
But if the wicked servant says to himself, My master is delayed, he begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day that he does not expect him, and an hour that he does not know. You see, with exams, you know they're going to come. When your project is read, you know the day where your boss is going to say, Hey, where's that thing on my table? I expected by this today. But, but with Jesus, you don't. The master will come on a day that is not expected. And what will he do to the, to the abusive servant? Well, verse 51. And will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's a pretty hard punishment, isn't it? Master will be very, very tough on servants who act that way. Very, very tough on those who are unprepared like him. Now, the people at that time when Jesus spoke this, who were like that, they were the leaders of Israel. They were corrupt. They rejected the Lord Jesus when, when he came. And, and Jesus pronounced their judgment just a bit earlier on in chapter, the previous chapter, which happened in AD 70. But Jesus says here that those, it will be the same for the leaders of his people who are like them when he returns. He will put them in hell with the hypocrites, the corrupted Jewish leadership. If you're a church leader among God's people, in any capacity, watch out. If you teach Sunday school or youth group or cell group or whatever it is, watch out. Make sure you're not like them. Pretenders. Make sure you look after those in your care. They are the master's servants. It is the master's household. Make sure you feed them with the pure word of God. Do not abuse your position. Do not neglect their welfare. Don't think the judgment is so far away that it doesn't matter. We are all accountable for what we do. James teaches those who teach will be judged more strictly. Exercise your ministry as someone who will have to give an account to the master. And be prepared to do so. Not next year, not next term, not tomorrow, but now. This is a serious thing. It's a serious for those who, especially serious for those who do not belong to Christ and yet appear to be servants of Christ. The responsibilities in his household. Those who claim to be servants of Christ, especially those who have responsibility over other servants need to be prepared Jesus could come any time and we need to be found doing the job he has given us in the way he has given us the next parable makes a similar though opposite point it's not primarily directed at leaders the previous parable wasn't only about leaders. It's the previous parable was saying, Get be prepared now, because the master is going to come back. But this parable is actually even more general than that. It's about anyone among God's people, or at least looks like they're one of them. Uh, the setting is a, is, a, is a Jewish wedding. About ten virgins, they're probably 12 to 16 years old, part of the wedding celebration. And their job was probably to wait at the bridegroom's house, for when the bridegroom goes and collects the bride from her parents' house, brings her back to his house for the celebration. And they're supposed to be waiting there to greet them. 
And they'll do so carrying these, these lamps, bright outdoor lamps, perhaps a bit like torches, right, with rags soaked in oil to burn. Well, Jesus tells a story about some virgins in their lamps. Chapter 5, verse 1. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. And we don't know why they're foolish or wise at this point. We just know that they are. For when the foolish took their lamps, now we know, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a cry, Here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins rose and trimmed their lamps, and the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, Since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast. And the door was shut. There's joyful celebration on the inside. There's a shut door on the outside. And then verse 11. The other virgins came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Isn't that awful? They, they, they could have been in. At the beginning of the story, they looked just like the wise virgins. They were excluded and they heard these terrible words from the bridegroom, I do not know you, or I have not known you. What's the difference between the foolish virgins and the wise ones? Both of them were there for the wedding feast. Both of them had lamps and oil. Both fell asleep when the bridegroom was delayed. So what's the difference? The wise virgins were prepared for the possibility that the bridegroom might be delayed. The foolish virgins assumed he would come quickly within a few hours. And they did not make preparations for the eventuality that he wouldn't. They looked just like the wise ones at the beginning, there at the beginning, but they were never were wise virgins right from the beginning. They were the foolish ones. They were the unprepared. Who they were became apparent with the delay. And friends, within the church, maybe even within this congregation, there are wise ones and there are foolish ones. There are people who will last for the long haul. And there are people who won't. And Jesus says in verse 13, Watch therefore, for you know neither the day or the hour. Friends, we do not know, the angels do not know, the Son of Man himself did not know, and we have to be ready for any eventuality. He could have come back right after the fall of Jerusalem. He could have come back any time in the past 2,000 years. He could come back in 10 years, 100 years, 1,000, even 10,000 years. We do not know. He could come back tomorrow, today. He could come back even before the end of the sermon. Whenever he comes, we've got to be ready.
You see, there are two mistakes we can make about this. We can forget that he might come back today and so act as if he's not, like the wicked servant. I think we've got plenty of time. Or, we can act as if he's coming back today on tomorrow and forget that we have to plan for the possibility that he might delay even longer. Like the foolish virgins. Either way is presumptuous. Either way is wrong. Some preachers say, live as if Jesus was coming back tomorrow. Well, please don't. Okay, because he may not be. Be prepared for him to be. But also be prepared in case he isn't. Be prepared for the long haul. Be prepared to live the Christian life for many, many, many years. Be prepared to grow in Christ, to serve Christ, to suffer for Christ for many years before entering into glory. The Christian life is not just a hundred meters dash. may well be a marathon. Be ready for that. But be prepared for him to come back tonight. If he does. So in these passages that we've looked at, really, there are two kinds of people. People who are prepared and people who are not. That's it. They look the same. They'll be doing the same kinds of things. You've got two men working side by side the field, but one is prepared and one isn't. Two women grinding in the mill, one is prepared, one isn't. You want to have two churchgoers listening to the same sermon, one is prepared and one isn't. The one who's prepared is like the good servant, the wise virgin, who will be rewarded by the master, entering the joy of the wedding feast. The one who is not prepared is like the bad servant and the foolish virgins, severely punished by the master, shut out from his joy. Friends, are you prepared for Jesus' return? If Jesus came to judge the world today, would you be ready to greet him joyfully? Bishop J.C. Ryle was a great preacher of the 19th century. This is what he had to say about the Christianity of his day. He said this, At the present we must all be aware that the vast majority of Christians care nothing about decider Christianity. They have no sense of sin, they have no love toward Christ, they know nothing of being born again. Repentance and faith and grace and holiness are mere words and names to them. They are subjects which they either dislike or about which they feel no concern. But this state of things shall one day come to an end. Knowledge, conviction, the value of the soul, the need of a saviour shall burst upon men's minds one day like a flash of lightning. But it will be too late. Friends, be prepared. Well, how can we prepare? What preparations can we make to, to meet the King? Well, the passages that we'll look at over the next couple of weeks will help us sort this out. But the start of this really has to be a heartfelt repentance, doesn't it? We have sinned. We failed to treat God properly. And we have failed to give Jesus his rightful place as the Supreme Lord in our lives. And, and we need to repent. To change our minds. Change the direction of our lives. We need to believe that Jesus is risen from the dead. That he will come back to judge the world. And right now he is the rightful one. 
to rule us. We need to be prepared to stop living for ourselves. To start living for him. And to be willing to do that, to love him, obey him, to serve him, not just now and today, but for the rest of our lives until he returns. And when we turn to Jesus in repentance and faith, God forgives us through him. The death that he died on the cross in our place applies to us. His blood takes away our sins and we can have confidence to enter the presence of the Holy One through him. We can be certain that we will be okay when Jesus returns. For the judge is now our saviour. Who has borne the punishment for us in our place on the cross. And was raised to life as the King and Lord of all. Friends, the kingdom of heaven is near. Repent and believe the gospel. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that your Son has given us these warnings and encouragements so that we will be prepared for the day that he returns. Our Father, we pray for us here in this room. We pray that that day would not find any one of us unprepared. Have mercy on us, we pray. Work in our hearts by your Spirit that we may truly repent and truly know Jesus as our Saviour and our King. That each one of us here will be found in Him, trusting in His death for our salvation, and seeking to live our lives for His glory and honour. May we be people who are prepared for His coming. We ask this in His name. Amen.